Let me see the Bibles in the room tonight. If you got to hold it up. You got your Bible, hold it up. There is nothing of more importance and value for you to keep with you through this new year than God's Word. Listen to me. Make your interactions with it daily. Don't look back and reflect over the course of this next year and have to once again say, I wish I would have spent more consistent time in God's Word. Make your interactions with His Word daily this year. It is life-changing. It will shape and mold your character in ways that nothing else can. It will draw you closer in relationship to your Father than anything else can. Make your interactions with His Word daily this year. That being said, let's go to Genesis chapter 37. If you need a little cheat on where Genesis is, it's real easy. It's the first book in the Bible. Genesis chapter 37, new year, new semester. So we're going to jump right into things with a new series, one that is going to walk us through the life of Joseph. Joseph's story has always been one of my favorites to read and study. And if you grew up in or around church, you likely had an introduction to Joseph at an early age. He's one of the more familiar Bible stories that we are told as children. He's the guy with the coat of many colors. And so some of you may have been associated with Joseph. Some of you may have never met before. Tonight we're going to make introductions all throughout his life. You're going to see the amazing character and integrity that he lived with. But what you are also going to see is the incredible sovereignty of how God works in every single detail of our lives, no matter how big or how small. God's sovereignty is everywhere over our lives, and no story in Scripture shows that maybe more meticulously than Joseph's. Joseph's life at every turn for a while seemed to face some kind of put-down. It seemed to always be with some kind of trial or adversity or injustice or unfairness, but every time what you're going to see is that God would show himself to be at work in the details, taking Joseph's put down and bringing about a turnaround. That word turnaround, it actually has a definition. It's an abrupt or unexpected change, one that results in a more favorable situation. So for the next week or two or three or four, Joseph's life is going to show us how our God is the God of the turnaround. He is the one who is ever working our situations into favor, goodness, and glory. He's done so since the beginning of humanity, and he continues to do so day in and day out today. So are you ready for this? Turn to somebody beside you in your best SpongeBob voice. Tell them, I'm ready. Genesis chapter 37, starting in verse 1. Everybody take a deep breath. Oh, we got a lot of scripture. Here we go. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. 
Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked him, What are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. And they saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. And they said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. In this first installment, I want to speak from the subject of the dream isn't dead. The dream isn't dead. Let's get to know Joe a little bit before we dive back in and pull out some truths from this text. We're first introduced to Joseph when he's at the prime age of 17. And real quick, we pick up on some family tension. He has apparently told on his brothers for some immoral, unrighteous, unjust behavior, whatever it is that they were doing. Joseph knew it wasn't right, and so he went and told daddy. And so there's already some family tension between him and his brothers in the sense that they see him as a tattletale, but we're also told that Joseph was the favored son. The baby always is, right? How many of you have younger siblings in here tonight? You know which one is undoubtedly the favorite in the family. You know which one gets everything they ask for, which one gets spoiled. It's always the baby. So Joseph's the baby in the family, and he's the favored son. As a matter of fact, we're even explicitly told that Israel loved Joseph more. Now just imagine, like, you, you may sit there and, and wonder at times if your parents love one of your siblings more than you or not, but more than likely, 
your parents have never explicitly told you, hey, just in case you were wondering, yeah, it's true. I do love your brother or your sister more than I love you. It's just how it is. I'm sorry, life's not fair. Move on. Hopefully your parents have never said that to you. If they have, I'm sorry. Should have never told you that. <laughs> everything the Bible gives us detail-wise doesn't mean it's everything that the Bible supports. Joseph should have never said that. Wrong, Joseph. Play favorites with your kids. But he explicitly states that he loves Joseph more. And so there's this brewing tension and animosity between Joseph and his brother. He's a tattletale. He's the baby. He's got on this coat. And you know he'd be wearing that coat every single day. He ain't even washing it. He'd just be wearing it from his brothers every single day to rub it in. So Joe and his bros, they don't really jive with one another. Then we see Joseph have a series of dreams where he depicts that his brothers and his parents even are bowing down to him. And so Joseph thinks it's a good idea to tell his brothers that dream. Knowing good and well, there's already tension there. He goes up and gathers his brothers after having this dream. He says, let me tell you how this dream I had. I had this dream that, that we were in this field and it was weird. We were all like bound up in sheaves basically of wheat and my sheaf stood up and all y'all came around me and you bowed down before me. And so that went over about like a pregnant pole vaulter as well and things aren't looking good whatsoever for Joseph and his family. And they're like, what in the world are you going, we're going to bow down to you? You're the baby of the family, we're going to bow down to you? You're the least of any one of us. There's no way we're going to bow down. And not only that, you're saying that mom and dad are going to bow down to you as well. Like, who are? who is this guy? I think that coat's going to your brain, dude. Like, a lot of tension in this household. And so his brothers began to plot with the next opportunity that they had to kill Joseph. And as he goes to find them pasturing the flock one day, fortunately we see his oldest brother Reuben step in and say, hey, guys, let's, don't kill him. That's a little much. Maybe a little much. Let's not kill him. Just throw him in this pit instead. It's already going to be bad enough what we're going to do to him. Let's not have blood on our hands in the midst of it. And we don't know this for sure. I'm not going to spend any more time on this whatsoever. But I think Reuben kind of had a little plot going on. He said that he wanted to rescue Joseph out of their hands so he could restore him to his father. I think Reuben was trying to make a power move. I think he was trying to get back in dad's good graces. Like, the rest of the brother going to try and kill him, but I'm going to save him. I'll take him back to dad. And I'll be like, all oh, then tried to kill him. But your oldest son, who should be your favorite son, rescued him. And so Reuben steps in and he intervenes. They toss him in a pit instead. Either way, what I want you to see is that the intention was to kill the dream that Joseph was given. Let's take him and throw him in this pit or let's kill him one or the other. And then we'll see what's going to become of those dreams that he had. So the first thing I want you to see tonight is that we're each set apart for something special. It was common practice and understanding during these times that God made special revelation to people through dreams. So Joseph's dreams weren't the result of some bad chicken that he ate or something. This was an actual revelation of God speaking to him the call that he was going to place upon Joseph's life. Now, Joseph didn't know what all this calling would entail. He just knew that God had placed it upon him. I'm sure the dreams didn't make a lot of sense to him either. But God is the one who has set it up and ordained it. He was obviously setting Joseph apart for something special. 
something that he had intentionally put and pieced together for his life to carry out. In the same way, when we surrender our lives to Jesus, he sets us apart for something special as well. Psalm chapter 4, verse 3 says, But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. And then in Ephesians 2, verse 10, we see Paul writes, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So each and every one of us, when we enter into relationship with Christ, he then sets us apart for something special to do within the context of building his kingdom. We are all set apart for the good works that he has prepared that we should walk in them. God sets apart the godly for himself. Now this kind of takes shape in a couple of different ways, this plan does. The first of which is that God has a general plan for each and every one of us. That being that it's his desire for all of us to bring him glory and to proclaim his gospel throughout the earth with our lives. That's the broad general plan for each and every one of us. I hear people a lot of times, especially at, at your season of life, at your age, they want to know, well, I, want to, I just want to know what God's plan is for my life. How do I find out what God's plan is for my life? Well, first and foremost, his plan ultimately is that you just glorify him and you make his gospel known throughout the earth. That's the general consensus. That's the general plan. So if you're wondering what God's plan is for your life, quite generally speaking, that's it. Glorify him, make his gospel known. But there's also a specific side to this. That's the means by which he is going to use your life to do just that. So that may mean that he sets you apart to be a pastor or to be a missionary or to be a doctor or a nurse, or to be a teacher or a coach or a tradesman or in some kind of business. That's the specific side of his plan. That's the specific setting apart that he's going to call you into by which you glorify him and make his gospel known. Our God never does anything without purpose. Never. So listen, because he is a purposeful God, he gives us a purpose-filled life. A life with Jesus is a purpose-filled life. He illumines for us a path to take that will ultimately glorify him, and he sets us apart for that good work. So each and every one of you, if you will commit to full surrender to God, asking him to make known what it is that he desires for your life to be and to do, he will at some point illumine that path for you to take. He will make it known. Stop stressing, stop worrying, stop the anxiety stuff. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know who I'm supposed to be. Joseph didn't know either. God showed up and gave him a call when he was 17. He didn't say anything about what it was going to be, what it was going to entail. How He didn't roll out a five- or a ten-year plan. He just said, there's a call there. Seek after me, and I will show you what it is. The same way when he showed up with Abraham. Abraham, leave your home. Where are we going? I'll show you. God shows up and he gives a call and he places it upon your life and so many of us want that call to include a five-year plan. We want the whole detailed agenda. Like, okay, God, so like when I wake up in the morning, what, what do you want me to do? Like, what clothes should I wear? What I need? Like, we, we wig out when we get to a certain point. We think God hasn't shown us exactly what we need to be doing. Just trust him. Follow him. He will make it known. He will illumine that path. On the flip side of that, I think there's a camp of us that fall into this group. Well, I just don't think God could use me. I don't see how my life could be of any offering to him whatsoever. Listen, the only unused life 
is an unwilling life. If you will set yourself before the God of this universe who has set you apart and called him for his glory and ask him, Lord, will you use me? His answer is always a resounding, you bet. Absolutely. Just show him your willingness. But then for some of us, even though you know the call is there, like Joseph, you may not know the how, when, where, why. Don't worry about it. Why? Because God's in the details. It's one of the turnarounds that he works, as a matter of fact. In 1 Peter 2, verse 10, God's word tells us, Once you were not a people, but now you were God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, 22, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. 1 Timothy chapter 1, 12 and 13, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. Can you see the turnaround at work? Just because we once weren't doesn't mean that we no longer are. God turns that around when we enter into relationship with him through his son, Jesus. And he says, once you didn't have anything, but now I'm giving you everything that I have. Once you weren't a people, once we had no inheritance, once our life was devoid of purpose or plan with eternal bearing, apart from him, we had no anointing or appointing, but through Christ, we have been called and set apart for new things. It's a purpose-filled life. And each and every one of us in him are set apart for something special. Listen, it's just an add-on. Some of you need to stop minimizing your calling by comparing it with others. Are we really in the place where we can look at God and question the integrity, the purpose, the scope, and the impact of what he has set us apart to do in comparison to other people around us? It blows my mind the more I think about it, the fact that he would give us even any responsibility in his kingdom at all. Every single one of us would be privileged that he would entrust us with an opportunity to build his kingdom in some way, form, or fashion, no matter what it looks like. What he has set you apart for is uniquely special for you as one of his children. So we're each set apart for something special. God has a plan, not just for Joseph's life, for each and every one of you here tonight as well, which leads me to the second truth, that God is the preserver of that plan. We've seen how things on the home front aren't the best with Joe and his brothers. They've already seen him as self-righteous, which basically stems from the incident where they viewed him as a tattletale when he went and told daddy on something that they were doing. And so they see him as being self-righteous. He's uppity. He's a goody-good. He's a know-it-all. They know he's favored with dad. He shared the dreams where he's asserting himself over them. And these tensions, they, they boil over, and they're now conspiring to kill Joseph. In verse 18, it says that they saw him from afar when he was coming to check up on the, past, on the pastures. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. 
this is more than just like your average sibling quarrel. Now, those of you in this room that, that have siblings, you know things can get a little heated at times. You, you, you fought from the time you were old enough to fight. There's always been a battle that's existed between siblings in the household, and, you know, brotherly love, sisterly love, or whatever. But I, I very seriously doubt, even though you may have said it at one point in time, I very seriously doubt any of us conspired to actually kill one of our siblings. I'm not saying you didn't say it to them, but I doubt you actually meant that you'd go through with it. Joseph's brothers ain't playing. This is more than just your average sibling squabble. They're going to kill him. Like it is a done deal in their mind. They began to conspire how they're going to get. Imagine the level of hatred that you have to have in your heart for somebody to go through with murder. Of your own flesh and blood, no less. They said, let's, let's figure out, let's kill them. Here's our chance. We're away from the house. Nobody else is around. All these pits, man, we can get rid of the body and everything. Let's kill him. This is why jealousy is so bad. I want to take just a second because I think jealousy is one of the unspoken corrosive acids that's eating the church from the inside out. Jealousy is so bad because it breeds with division and it gives birth to animosity. So anytime you have jealousy existent, in your heart, the first thing that it's going to seek to do is find other like-minded, jealous situations. And once it finds those similar situations, it's then going to join with those situations and seek to cause division amongst others who maybe aren't even a part of those situations. And the longer it continues to dwell and reside within our hearts, it will eventually give birth to animosity which is what leads his brothers to say, let's kill him. That's animosity. That's why we can't allow jealousy to reside within our hearts because it takes us to levels that a wicked, deceitful heart can get to if we don't allow it to be cleansed, if we don't allow God to work those things out of us. So be careful about jealousy in your life. They thought it'd be funny to see what became of Joseph's dreams if he was dead. Let's kill him. <laughs> then let's see what happens to those dreams that he was talking about. But Reuben, thank God for Reuben, Reuben interjects and suggests they throw him into the pit instead. Let me say this once again. God is in the details. This is his plan for Joseph's life, and he will preserve it. Now, I think there's some important teaching that's going to take place in these next moments, so please lean into it for a second. You can be assured that your calling won't be without conspiring. We have an enemy who is ever conspiring against the plans that God has laid out for our lives. And he will do whatever, he will use whatever means, whatever resources necessary to try and prevent it from playing out. So if he has to use friends, that's what he will do. 
If he has to use family, that's what he will do. If he has to use finances, that's what he will do. If he has to inflict with infirmity, that's what he will do. If he has to fill your life with doubts and stresses and worries and anxieties, that's exactly what he will do. But listen to me. If God prepared the plan, God will preserve the plan. Philippians 1.6 assures us of this very truth. Paul says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You can be assured of this, that if God started it in you, he will finish it through you. He preserves his plans. How many of you are planners? Any planners? Like deep planners. Like you have an actual thing in your bag somewhere that says planner on the front of it like we needed to know that's what it was we make plans but how many of you know sometimes our plans don't always play out how many of you know that sometimes things change how many of you know that sometimes things come up that prevent those plans from taking place how many of you know that sometimes we just don't follow through on those plans I'm gonna, I'm gonna, hopefully you don't take too much offense to this, but there's a group of us that exist that I like to call plan pushers. You're those people that's always making plans or deciding to go along with plans, but then always text like right before the plans happen and say, ah, I'm not going to be able to make it. Well, I actually had something else come up. I, I can't, don't be a plan pusher, please. Like nothing is more disappointing to me than making plans with buddies. I got one guy in my life that's like this. We try and make plans. I get so excited, get so hyped up that we're going to do this weekend. Inevitably, he'll text like a few hours before, hey, man, I'm not going to be able to make it. I'm just like, dude, quit making false promises. Quit giving me a false hope. Like don't be a, don't be a plan pusher. But, but God isn't like that. In his sovereignty, his plans remain constant. Listen, nothing ever surprises him or shows up unexpectedly that requires his plans to change. He always follows through on the things which he sets in place every single time. You don't have to worry about God ever being a plan pusher. God's never going to show up in your life with a plan. Hey, hey, I got, out of, I got this thing for your life. It's really cool. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. I need you to get really, really excited about it. We're going to meet back here at the age of 28, and I'm going to roll it out for you, and it's going to be magnificent. You're going to love it. In the meantime, just follow me up until that point. You will never get to the age of 28 that God made a promise on and said, I'm going to show you this amazing thing. If you just follow me up until that point, you will never get there and get a rescheduled appointment card from the Lord. Never. He doesn't push his plans. His plans don't change. You don't have to reorganize or redirect because something unexpected happened, because something got on his schedule that he wasn't anticipating. Why? Because he's sovereign and he knows all things. He anticipates all things. He plans all things and he carries out all things. In verse 24, there's something interesting I want you to see. It says that they took him, they took Joseph and they threw him into a pit. And the pit was empty. Everybody say empty. What this pit was essentially was a cistern. It was a well. It most likely should have had water in it, but it didn't. Everybody say empty one more time. The enemy, this world, it may place a pit in front of the plans that God has for you, 
but it's always going to be an empty attempt. God preserves his plans. Even though he may mean it to kill you, even though he may mean it to drown you, God will ultimately bring you out of it. Listen, don't think because you fell in a hole or because you had a setback or because no one has supported the dream or the calling that you have expressed that you feel like God has placed upon your life, don't think because none of that is taking place that the dream's over. It's not. And on top of that, one last truth, don't be dismayed by the direction. Let's go to verse 25. We've got to pick up the end of this story. Verse 25, so they've thrown Joseph in the pit. It says that then they sat down to eat. I mean, what a group of jerks, right? Like, you throw your brother in the pit, and then you sit down and you eat lunch. Like, how callous. Like, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. And then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then many night traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, which is a common slave price. And they took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit, saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments, put sackcloth on his loins, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. After his brothers tossed him in the pit, they sit down, they're having a lunch break, and while doing so, they look up, and here's this group of Ishmaelites coming through, and they decide to make a little money off of Joseph. Why not get something out of him? He doesn't have to be completely worthless to us. So they sell him into slavery, sell their own brother into slavery. And we're told that they take Joseph with them to Egypt. I don't know if you know this or not, but Egypt isn't a place where dreams come true. Egypt's a place of bondage. Egypt is essentially, for Joseph, a dead end. This will be his life from here on out, so it appears. In other words, the dreams that Joseph had aren't aligning with the direction that he's going in. But he doesn't know yet what God is doing and what God is working. By all accounts, it seems like Maybe these dreams were just the result of a bad batch of chicken after all. Maybe I made it up. Maybe I got confused. Maybe I thought 
that was the voice of God. Maybe I thought this was God's calling upon my life, but obviously I missed something. Obviously I was confused. Obviously I didn't have it right because all of a sudden since that time I've found myself in a pit. My brothers have tried to kill me. They've refrained from that. Now I'm sold into slavery and I'm marching behind these Ishmaelites. They're nasty smelling camels. They're dragging me to Egypt where I'm going to be a slave for the rest of my life. How, God, are these dreams, how are these calling that I feel like you've placed upon my life going to come true in the midst of all this? But he doesn't know yet what God's doing. He doesn't know what God is working. I've said this twice already tonight. I'm going to say it again. God's in the details. You're going to hear that all throughout this series. God is in the details. Joseph doesn't know this, and we're going to see it later, but Egypt isn't the place where his dreams are going to die. It's the place where they're going to be realized. He just doesn't seem like this would be the path that would take him there. I remember I was out west one year playing baseball. I didn't know anybody out there. I didn't have a teammate go with me or anything. Went out there to play, didn't know anybody. They put us in these host homes, families I'd never met before. We go out there and we're playing ball and we'd been on a on a road swing and we actually had to drive ourselves. We didn't have a team bus or anything. We had to drive our own cars. I remember I was driving back from the town that we were playing in, headed back to my host home, and I got like such a deep craving for Chick-fil-A. And so like I, I pulled out my phone and I looked and I looked and I looked and I could not find one anywhere. So finally accepting defeat, settle for Burger King, put it into my GPS. Man, y'all don't know, this was back when Burger King was actually legit. I settled for Burger King, put it in my GPS, hit go, following the directions, it's going to take me to the Burger King. On my way there, I kind of got sidetracked in my thoughts, missed the exit. And so the GPS is doing its thing, you know, it's, it's recalculating, it's rerouting, it's telling me how, how to get, it's trying to get me turned around. And so it takes me off this other side road and it's showing me this big loop around, I'm going to come back and get back on the interstate. So I'm following this rerouted route that it's taking me on. And guess what I drive right into? A Chick-fil-A. I had no idea it was there. It never showed up on the map. There was no information about it whatsoever. It was almost as if God himself planted that Chick-fil-A on the side of that back road just so I could enjoy the blessing of it. But listen to me. It was during the turnaround when I found something that I knew was better all along. I just had to go in a direction that I didn't even know was right to get there. Don't be dismayed if you feel like life isn't going in the direction you think it should to lead you into the call that you know you've received. God's in the turnaround. He's in the details. Joseph's dream hasn't died. In the same way, listen to me, men and women of God, your calling hasn't been removed. Nobody's taken what God has given to you Trust in His sovereignty. Trust in His plan. Trust in His guidance. I know you may feel like you're not headed in the right direction whatsoever, but God is rerouting some things, and all of a sudden you might just look up and realize this was the direction I had to go in all along. I just didn't know that's what I needed. Trust in His guidance. 
hold fast your confession of faith and above all, just live in a manner worthy of the calling that you've been given. God will take care of the rest. Joseph's dream, mm -mm, it ain't dead. It's just now starting to come to life. Some of you here tonight, I know God's placed a special call upon your life. And I think there may be some discouragement in the room because just because things haven't played out like you thought they would or should by now, that you think that dream might just be falling apart. Not with a God who preserves his plans. You just haven't got there yet. You gotta hold on. You gotta keep walking. You gotta keep pushing. It might look like you're in a slave trade line, but it's God's sovereignty all the while paving a path for you to get to the destination that he had planned for you all along. You just got to continue down the path. Who knows what 2024 has in store for you this year? But I can tell you one thing in general. If you'll submit your willingness to him, it's got God's glory through your life written all over it. Let's see it. Let's follow. Let's be faithful. Hold on to the calling that God has placed upon.